Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well. Uh, Now for this episode, I was joined by none other than Revolution co-founder and one of the lead developers of Lure the Temptress, Beneath the Steel Sky and Broken Sword series, Tony Warriner. Now, Tony has already been on this podcast twice, so you can check out those episodes if you haven't already. And he's back again because he has just written a book about the history of Revolution Software and uh, the games that they made, like, again, the ones I mentioned, Beneath the Steel Sky, Lure the Temptress and Broken Sword. Uh, and he goes behind the scenes, so he talks about um, how some of those games were never made and the tumultuous times that company with uh, publishers who, shall we say, didn't have their best interests at heart, uh, to say the very least. And so uh, I invited him again on the podcast. He was very gracious to accept. And he gave uh, some great teasers about what to expect in the book and some, again, fascinating anecdotes about his time. Uh, working on the Kickstarter for Broken Sword 5, uh, the Broken Sword Director's Cut, uh, and some of the reaction to to that, and uh, how Revolution survived back in 2008, and uh, several other things. Uh, He also talks about something that's called Broken Sword Tales. Uh, If you want to know what that is, you'll have to listen to the interview. So, um, uh, the book... Uh, I don't know if we mentioned until later on, but the book that he's written is called Revolution, The Quest for Game Development Greatness, and that is on Kickstarter. Uh, it uh, still has a few days, still about two weeks left at the time of recording. So if you are um, yeah, listening to this between September and uh, beginning of October 2022, you still have time to back. If not, well, I'm sure hopefully you can still read it, but it's a great, fascinating listen uh, I had a great time speaking to Tony, and I hope people will uh, enjoy it as well. So, once again, a Revolution, the quest for game development greatness. It's on Kickstarter. You can find out more there. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, links will also be in the show notes. But in the meantime, here is my interview with Tony. So, please enjoy. Okay, I take well, I, I hope we're live. Um, <laughs> if not, it's it's me and Tony. I still don't don't see it on the on the, the page, but look, I don't want to hold you up uh, too too much. Oh yes, no, I, I see us now. Yeah. Uh, so we are live. So if anybody has if anybody has joined us, apologies for the delay. If anybody is here with us, uh, please ask Tony any questions that you wish. I don't know if anybody will join us, but hey, um, if you have any questions to Tony about Revolution or Broken Sword or the games or his book which uh, we'll talk about. Um, so, hello, Tony. How are you? Uh, hi there. I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. for having me on. Th- thanks again for coming on. Sorry, that sounded very robotic. How are you? I didn't mean it like that, but it's, uh, um, it's, yeah. I'm delighted to, to have you again. It's always great to, to chat with you. Um, because la- last time we spoke back in February 2022, you were in the process of writing your book, and now your book is on Kickstarter. So, um Always a great excuse to to chat with you. Um, uh-huh. So the last time we we spoke, I believe you mentioned that 
uh, you know, you you weren't sure. You're never sure with Kickstarter how things will go, how much interest there will be. Uh, but at the time of recording, you have uh, your Kickstarter has been successful. So and we can see there's been quite a bit of interest. So uh, again, just to start things up, very easy question. How do you feel <laughs> that the Kickstarter has has succeeded? Uh... Yeah, I mean, quite quite relieved, I guess. I mean, the, the thing about Kickstarter is you, you really don't know before it goes live how it's going to do. I mean, you, you just do not know. You, you can try and sort of guess it and quantify it and, uh, you know, make estimates, but you really have no idea. So, um, yeah, it's quite a relief to, to do the four-day thing. And, uh, you know, we, we when that happens, you get chosen by Kickstarter as one of their projects they love, they call it, and they put a little banner on it and stuff. So... Uh, it, it's it's good to to get through that 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 initial hurdle quickly. Or uh, in all ways, it's good to to get it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm slightly less stressed than I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can, I can imagine because there have been many Kickstarter projects that uh, have have failed and look good, but um, yeah, but yeah. this one through four days, and this is the second time you're doing Kickstarter because uh, you worked. How involved were you with Kickstarter with Broken Sword Five? Were you involved yeah. or yeah yeah, yeah. T- totally yeah i mean uh yeah i mean we helped make the video and uh i mean i, I was kind of there was like two of us at revolution who just who just fell into the job of of being kind of the front of it really you know talking to the fans and working the the the, the comments and stuff like that i mean that was broke five was really intense i mean it was literally 24 hours a day you know it was um for a month it was it was totally exhausting and uh super super mega stress because we were always um you know we were pushing with the game and there was there was like a film crew in the office half the time doing updates and stuff i mean it was manic it really was um but you know it was it was a 10x magnitude bigger than this one but um you know it's taken me 10 years to get over it (laughs) (laughs) build up the strength to do another one you know (laughs) yeah i've never done a kickstarter myself but i've heard that it can be quite stressful it can be uh like a full-time job i've heard um yeah you, you can't leave it that's the thing mm. uh, you know it's um you can't just walk away and i mean you can but, but you, it's not a wise thing to do I mean, you, you've got to be completely engaged with it and uh you know, you know the people that are backing you are asking you questions and you, you know you have to keep keep the drum going you know so beating the drum and uh you know you got to run for that so you, you need to be ready for it certainly yeah, well, uh, as we mentioned, you, it has uh, succeeded already. But um, so, but the more money that the Kickstarter will make, obviously, the better for you and for and for printing. Then I imagine, and for just everything to and shipping and with everything with the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, print printing is a nightmare basically because it's so expensive. Um, mm. And you know, I, I mean, part of my thing with this book was to to do it myself because I wanted to do a big book and i want you know i've got lots and lots of photos from archives and stuff we found recently and uh you know i, I had a film i had a black and white film in a drawer from from like 1991 or two uh and uh it was it was from the office so i, me- I mean i remember shooting it because it was a new camera and we, we were just testing it out so we went around the office taking snaps you know because because you know back in 91 there was no phones mo- mobiles with uh cameras on them so the, these these days are virtually unrecorded, you know. So I mean, I found this black and white film and, and got it processed, um, handed it in, and and see what came back. And, and what came back was some pretty cool pictures of the office, you know, that that seemingly had been lost forever. So you know, I got I got loads of that kind of mm. thing. I've got 
discs and discs of it. So, you know, I dragged it all out and, and I ended up with literally hundreds of photos and I wanted to put them in because it, it, it's it's valuable. To me, it's valuable. And, and I think people find it very interesting to see, to see this stuff from, from years ago, you know, of, of games being developed. So, you know, consequently, the book is like 640 pages or something in a hardback. And, and you know, if it, you know, I could go to the publisher and say, here's this great book, do you want to publish it? And they'd go, yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's okay. But, you know, instead of these 400 pictures, why don't we have like five glossy pages in the middle of the book and, and put your put your 20 best pictures on it or something? And, uh, you know, like like all these books do, you know, you know, you know what I mean? There's a little bit in mm. the middle with a, some glossy yes, pages yes. for photos. I mean, I didn't want to do that. I wanted loads of photos. So, and the way to do that was to, to do it myself and kickstart it. But consequently, you know, I, I I have to deal with the things that the publishers would have would have shaken their heads at, like enormous print costs and, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. And of course, we have other problems these days, like uh, you know, exporting anything from Brexit UK is now mm. a complete another nightmare. So, um, <laughs> like Germany, places like mm. Germany, you, know, you have to you have to learn about the tax rates and, and all sorts of things you didn't have to do before but you know it's all part of the fun <laughs> yes definitely part of the fun <laughs> it's fun it's fun just keep repeating it it's fun <laughs> it's fun well well you're not uh you know the the first because we've had uh ken williams who wrote a book about um you know creating sierra and his time as sierra we had another book about sierra and just actually today mm-hmm. at the time of recording i believe it was a kickstarter about monkey island um i don't think that's official but i think that that book was already written in spanish and now of course with your book on kickstarter so there seems to be quite a demand for books about well adventure game companies and adventure games now um uh, as well have you read ken williams book by any chance or out of interest no but it's on my it's on my list of things to read i mean it's it's going to be a good one presumably yeah no it's i mean obviously it's it's different because he's um, you know, but he he was very good. He and there was another book by Sean Mills that talks in more detail as well. So there are pl- there are plenty of books so about adventure games, which is great. But I suppose the first, you know, I, I suppose you know for people who haven't seen or heard our previous, listened to our previous interview, mightn't be aware as much about your book. Uh, what can you tell us about your book? So what is your book? What is it about? What will we get out of it, more or less? So I suppose the elevator pitch for. <laughs> For this 600 page <laughs> uh, <laughs> isn't that good enough um uh, what is it about? you've already well, told it, us about the photographs it's 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 about i mean it's about the games industry in a way uh, and what it was like uh from the mid 80s i mean the story starts in the mid 80s when i drop out of school and, and go and work at arctic where i was employed by charles cecil who you will know mm-hmm. um I think I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, I mean, it starts then, mid eighties, eight eight bit computers, you know, cassette games, all that, all that kind of stuff, and 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 I took it right back to that point because that's where I started working with Charles. Um, we 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 go off our separate ways for a couple of years, and then then Charles, who who has a a connection with Sierra, um with his job at Activision UK because they were distributing Sierra. So he knew about the adventure game market and he'd written adventure games himself before. He thinks now is the time to start an adventure game company. That's what I want to do, get back into narrative. So, you know, it, you know, he, he calls me up and, and the story unfolds of how we set up revolution and then, and then 
how we deal with writing the, the different games right through to the, the present day, you know. Uh, and, and there was a lot. What, I mean, what you see as a consumer, as a game player, you see the games come out, you read the reviews, you, you buy, buy the games and play them, and you see all that side of it. But there was a, you know, and beneath that was a, a dark and murky world of publishers always trying to screw us over. You know, and I talk about that stuff. I talk about how we made the games, you know, what, what was going on in the office, you know, and what, what processes we went through, what problems we had. And and always the sharks circling, trying to kill us off, things going on in the background, projects that, that nearly got started and didn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff, uh, you know, and, and going through my diaries of the last 30 years, basically, there was a lot of stuff that I'd forgotten, other people had forgotten. So, you know, the the idea was to to rebuild that timeline and and understand what we did and how we did it for ourselves as much as anything. But it's it's a good thing to put on public record as well. Yeah, that, uh, I think definitely because this is a piece of history. Um, yeah, yeah. That that you know for the last twenty five, twenty six years, um, that revolution has been around and has been at the top of the the game as well with the games that you created. Um, and now uh, uh, about that, and I, I know I mentioned to you before recording, and you're very kind to send me a you know preview copy as well, PDF copy, and I'd be reading you know bits and pieces. And from what I've read, and from your description uh, on Kickstarter, where uh, you mentioned this is a book about um, well, this book tells two important stories: first, how the games were made, which you mentioned, and second, how the external forces acting on a company threatened to destroy it at every step along the way, which you mentioned. And from what I've read, this could be like a movie, <laughs> the story of revolution. Um, yeah. If, if, if someone theoretically, say if Netflix or Amazon or anyone um, within the movie or TV industry came that that you knew were genuine, uh, how would you react if they if they asked if you're interested in optioning it for for a TV series or or a movie? I think I'd be quite quite up for that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see who's going to play me. Yeah, who, who who do you think would play you and uh, and Charles? And... <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had some pub discussions on, on who would who would play all the different roles actually you know i'm pretty set on keanu reeves for myself you know I think absolutely that's a fair, <laughs> that's a fair de- 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 depiction of, of, of you know how, how i am in general life um <laughs> charles we're not so sure we're still we're struggling with that one um but uh, you know we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll leave that to the to the movie company but uh, <laughs> Whoever's up for it. I mean, it's a, it's a big role, so you know, it's, it's absolutely. Big, I mean, you're you're the main star, so <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the idea of repositioning so, so that I am the main player. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, about um, you know, I know we spoke before about the publishers, but I suppose the question that I have is publishers versus fans because you've worked with directly with both. You've mentioned you've worked with fans. Uh, we work with publishers. We work directly with fans for the Kickstarter for Broken Sword 5. And just in comparison, um, more recently with the new Monkey Island game, uh, with, uh, well, the reaction from minority of fans to the graphics of Monkey Island, they weren't happy. They uh, really let everyone know about it again and again. And one Gilbert made, made a very interesting comment. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, that Disney were allowing him to make the game that he wanted but some of the fans weren't, that they were really specifying and really kind of nastily uh, just trying to mm. demand that he make the game that they wanted to, them to make rather than what he wanted to make. Um, yeah, yeah. 
So in your experience, uh, what is your experience versus your publishers versus fans? Uh, pros and cons, do you have any um, any that you prefer or your, your experience in general? Well, I, I mean, I, I prefer fans, of course, because, um, <laughs> you know, we... we we had a lot of experience of different publishers. I mean, some some are good, some are some are bad, and some are very bad. You know, and, and in the early days of Revolution, we were working with Virgin Interactive, and they went through a, a period when they were absolutely very good. You know, it was it was a good bunch of people. They were mm. they were uh, very uh, outgoing and bullish, and you know, and if if something seemed like a good idea, they'd go for it, and and you know, they didn't care what the expense was or anything like that. And, and in a way, that's where Broken Sword came from. It was a it was Virgin Interactive saying, "Go for it, guys! You know, here's a load of money. Go for it. Write the best adventure game ever," and 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 a pretty good game came out of it. But that was a very, you know, that that's quite a unique experience with publishers. It was it was quite different most of the time. And what what you get into is is a is a situation where publishers are effectively public public companies that have got to do a uh, earnings report every three months. And these these things are so important that they, they they dominate the entire company's culture. So all that all they become eventually all they're interested in is quarterly profits. That you know mm. they're not interested in a game as a piece of artwork or, or you know a, a gameplay experience or that's telling a story or you know it has an important message. They don't care about any of that. They care about quarterly sales. Mm. Once you're into that zone, then you're in a lot of trouble as a, as a creative. And if you happen to be making you know, slightly more intelligent narrative-driven adventure games like uh, Revolution did, then then you you're into a quite a, a difficult difficult position because that that kind of content isn't necessarily good for short-term uh, profit. You know, we our games they they sold pretty. They got reviews usually. They sold pretty well. Uh, not not like the not like a halo game or a doom mm. game or or you know we ne- we never sold zillions in the first month uh but what what we did was you know we wrote games that lasted a long long time you know broken sword people are still playing it today because it's yeah. a good game and it and it's as it's as it's as great as it ever was so i mean it stays alive still now a lot of the games that were big hits for a month back in the 90s or back in 2002 or something you know they're long forgotten now but they 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 were good for quarterly profits so you know that that was the environment we were in and and that's what made it difficult for us and, and um you know we we were swimming in those those waters for a long time and and it wasn't very easy at all so you know uh, for, for us, when we when we did the Kickstarter and, and and we were dealing with fans directly, I mean the danger with that is that that, that kind of the, the the murky underside of rate making games, which is difficult. I mean games are difficult to do; things go wrong. You have to make changes that you don't want to make. You know you have you have financial problems usually because games always overrun. You know that stuff is normally hidden, but if you're crowdfunding a video game. And those things are exposed, and the fan mm. base gets to see it. Now that that might be an unpleasant process for for some people to to deal with, um, and and you, you know you need to be as as a developer, you need to be careful that you can deliver broadly what you say you will, because otherwise people are going to be very upset. Rather than some publisher just being a bit upset, you know, a lot of people are going to be rather than just a few people. Um, so you have to be careful, uh, and, and I think there's. I mean, I think the Monkey Island thing, a lot of strange things happened with that, to be honest. I mean, there seemed to be 
a, a bit of a bit of a renter mob moved in and probably i think a lot of the people who were very verbal about it i i wonder if they were really players i wondered monkey. i yeah are they really monkey island players I, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe i can't i can't quite can't quite marry the the concept of of a, of a quite a sweet video game with you know these people threats of violence you know it doesn't the two things don't really go together do they so i, I wonder what was really going on with that i mean i'm sure some people did prefer the idea of exactly the same graphics as the same game but that's that's never viable because the platforms are so different you know so you know you're working with higher resolution so something's got to change you know so you can't just do a little pixel art game like it was back in back in the 90s or whatever so it was always going to be different and from what i hear it's a great game i haven't played it yet myself but i hear it's a great game so yeah i'm currently currently playing it currently really enjoying it but i wonder the exact same thing now again um, you know, like you said, and like I said before, everybody's entitled to their own opinion and to express it. But just it was so yeah, aggressive yeah. that um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that and to just somebody that I just think if you really loved the games, if you really had respect for the developers and for the person behind the early games, however much you feel with the new games, would you, if you were a genuine fan, would you really give abuse to that developer? I mean, even if you didn't like this, okay, fine. If you don't. You know, because you'd always have the original games, but um, mm. you know, and if if this game, even if it was a terrible game, well, look, not the end of the world. I'm not going to give abuse to Ron Gilbert. It's like fine, but there were now. I think it is. It just it was a minority of people, and with their own interests, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but, so. I think I think it's a roving, a roving band of troublemakers. A lot of it, I that, think, that they see it to go with whatever, what <laughs> Little yeah, Mermaid yeah, or Lord of the Rings else. or. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but but yeah, no, I'm happy to hear that in your case, working with fans was a lot more positive and here as well, uh, because you, when, when I speak with uh, when I see online people, you know, fans of Revolution and Broken Sword, it's uh, generally positive, even if they have, you know, some criticism, especially of some of the later uh, games or whatever. They're constructive. They're not hateful. They're not nasty. Um, yeah, yeah. It's at least from what I can see. Um Mostly, yeah. mostly, yes. <laughs> Don't know. Maybe you had the different the different experience, but um, but then I believe you you had to split uh split Broken Sword five into two back in the Kickstarter then, um, as well. So I was wondering if you could if you cast your mind back if you remember uh back then if uh, do, do you know remember the reasons why and would you do things differently or do you think it worked well? Um, I mean, it still worked out well. The game was released to many good reviews but what what was the reason yeah i mean i, I mean this is, what this, this is what i'm talking about really you, mm. you know that the, the, there are always problems making games and uh you know those problems get exposed to to fifteen thousand people in our case mm. uh, rather than uh, a couple of producers and um something some executives in an office somewhere you know so everybody everybody gets to see the problems you're going through uh, now, I mean, the truth is, we we did we did quite a good Kickstarter for Broken Sword Five. I mean, it was the highest yeah, was, European yeah. Kickstarter ever at the time, but it, it wasn't enough money to write that game. So, you know, there was always going to be a, a problem somewhere down the line. Now, I mean, I, I, I guess our, our, our plan was to 
to get a long way with it. And then, you know, you can, you can do licensing deals for console versions and all sorts of things like that to, to bring in some more money. I mean, that's often the way games are written, you know, you get so far and you've got something good and then you can do some secondary deals to there. And, you know, it's always complicated, but there's ways of raising money. And, and, and that's pretty much what we did because um, we had Sony Vita version and, and, and stuff like that. But, it, you know, it, it came a little bit close for comfort, really. And splitting the game into two was one of our ways to ensure that, that that we did deliver, in the end, what we said we were going to deliver, which was the most important thing to us, you know. We, we weren't going to go, oh, sorry, you know, we we, we screwed it up. Here's half the game, you know, and we'll, mm. we'll kickstart part two a bit later on. In, in, in the end, we, we delivered what we said we were going to do. Uh, and that was, that was of, of utmost importance to us. Um, because every, everything from then on would 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 be a, a factor, you know, it, it would it would go back to that failure or success. So, you know, we we were always certain we we would deliver, no matter how difficult it was. And splitting the game was the difficult thing we had to do, but um, you know, it, it turned out to be the right decision. Yeah, it worked out in the end. And sometimes you have just at that moment. <laughs> That you to take, you know, is this the right decision? And in hindsight, you might think, oh, we could have done things differently. But it turned out it was the right decision then. Um, yeah, I mean, it it all worked out in the end. So you know, but that's that's <laughs> making games. You know, it's it's a messy process, to be honest. It's always messy. And uh, uh, you know, the way we work at Revolution, we you know, we're not we're not doing things to a formula where 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 to some degree where. You know, we, we have an outline of what we're doing, and then we'll we'll ad lib a bit while while we're actually writing it. Because you you know, as you as you're putting a game together, you have ideas, and those ideas generate work, and and so the game inevitably gets bigger and more complicated than it, it initially you thought it was going to be. Because because other things come up, and you you do more here, you do more there, you polish it more. Someone says, oh, but what about this idea? And you go, yeah, actually, that's quite good. So then you start putting that in, and you know, it, it always gets bigger. <laughs> so you have to do well, there's, and there's always consequences to that down the line and and the consequences are time and money you know mm. that's that's making games and i say we we don't do it to a spreadsheet you know we're not some 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 2000 person team in a, in a in a a tax haven in in canada putting these games <laughs> together from from a spreadsheet you know where 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 it's like where, it's like we're writing an album or something you know it'll be done when it's done yeah, well, that, I think that's fair. I mean, the 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 games that you guys have made speak for themselves. Um, and uh, oh, and uh, Lost Lost Train Tube says hi, hello, hello, Lost Train Tube, and um, um, oh, well, so, well, actually, so he has a question. I said for later, but I think we'll ask it now. Um, yeah. So this is the question: uh, Where did the inspiration for the concept of the virtual teacher for Lure the Temptress come from? Uh, so I can say that, so the inspiration for the concept of virtual theater come from. So uh, I, I think it was, you know, when we first got together, we all sat around a, uh, a uh, it would have been a PC, like an 8080 PC and played some Sierra games. We played um, those suit Lara and I think we played a King's Quest game. I mean, and we looked at them and, and saw how they worked and what they were. And we kind of thought, what can we do to make something more? You know, how can we kind of push it from a tech point of view? And and the idea of running the whole world at once 
um, was was one of the ideas, was one of the things we thought about. Uh, you know, so I mean, a traditional adventure game is here's this location and characters come in and they walk and they go off again, and you know that's there's nothing else going on. It's just it's just the location you're 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 on. You know, so we thought, well, let's make a whole world, and if the people walk off the off the screen, then they keep on doing the the living, you know, doing the jobs or living the lives that they were. That was the idea. Um, it was just something. It was just something we could do that was that was some sort of advantage, you know. And we'd we'd also played games on uh, the eight bits. There's a game called uh, Marsport uh, Gargoyle Games. They did a series. There was one called Turnanog. There was Marsport and and Dunderak, and they were like uh, set in cities where characters walked around. And we'd always been quite impressed by that kind of thing as well. So we we kind of married all these ideas together and. And, uh, and then we thought of what should we call it, and and uh, you know the, the 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 screen where you're on, it's kind of like a stage. You know, that's the mm. stage where people are, but off the stage, they're they're they they you know you can't see them, but they still exist. So we kind of thought, oh, yeah, it's a bit like a theatre, so you know, virtual theatre. And we we just thought of it one day, probably yeah. in the pub. As <laughs> <laughs> most stuck. best ideas uh, come from. Um, yeah. yeah. And what 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 were your thoughts on it then? Now, look, looking back, um, what were your your thoughts on virtual theater? Do you think it worked well? Uh, do you think now there are ways it could have done better, or how do you think it worked on, well, Lure the Temptress and then Beneath the Steel Sky? Well, I mean, it gave us a it gave us a, an advantage at the time because publishers were quite excited by it. You know, we did a demo mm. in what was called the Zen Garden. Uh, and it was it was something we'd drawn ourselves, like programmer arts, but it it, it had a, a couple of rooms and. And stuff, and, and we had characters moving in, in and out of the rooms and doing things and stuff. And uh, you know, Charles, Charles went on the road and showed that to various people, and, and they were pretty excited by it. Mm. So I mean, uh, it, you know, it gave us it gave us an edge, and, and it got it got us started. I think from, well, I think I think for adventure games, it was maybe not quite the right thing, and and we kind of did less and less of it as we went on. So by the time we got to Broken Sword One, we'd actually more or less given up on it, and. Um, we we weren't really using it. it the problem was you know you, you would tell people you you tell people to do things off screen and you didn't really know they were doing it because they were off screen so it the, you know the advantages were and the disadvantages were all sort of wound in together and uh it, it occurs to me while i was writing the book actually that we could have just faked the whole thing <laughs> you know we <laughs> You look, you look through windows and you see, you know, you see like the guard that you've locked in the cell in the, the temptress and, and he really is there, you know, um, he really is locked in that room, but we could have faked it so easily and it would have been a lot less, <laughs> but, but you know, we were, no, we no, were just too honest. Exactly. <laughs> you guys were too honest. He said, no, we have to go do it exactly as we said we would do it. Um, we did it. I mean, we really wrote that, that, that technology and it, and it did work, you know, uh, I think it did a slightly different genre of game. Uh, with that tech would have would have maybe been more successful with it and, and it would have it would have developed further into something else but it wasn't quite what we needed for the adventures um mm. but you know you, you well, live and learn well i actually liked it i mean as you mentioned there were some limitations but i remember in beneath the steel sky with lamb i think when you have to get mm. him up i think uh, I misremember. It's been a few years since I've played it, and I've played it a few times. But he used to get him up, and I think, and when he's walking, and then he to do something to get him. I think stuck in the same level. And um, what I remember is, I might not remember a specific. But what I remember is that oh, it's really interesting be- that this is working because of virtual theater. That he's walking around and has his own life. 
Yeah, yeah, and it really was. So, mm. and that, I mean, Lamb, Lamb is probably the best example. It's probably mm. the best thing he did with it. You know, he was he was going up and down between levels, and then you you revoke his um, security. That's it. Problem. Yes. And it, and the lift stops working, and and it and it really did. I mean, it, all that stuff was wired up, and and it and it was real. You know, it really it really did work like that. So you could do it. You know, wherever he was in the cycle of him walking around, you you could revoke the thing, and it and it would work when he gets to it. You know, so so I mean, it, it was real time in that in that mm. sense. Um, but we just never quite cracked what we could do with it to push it to the next stage. You know, but but yeah, you're right. Lamb Lamb was a very good example of what we what we used it for. Yeah, now I don't believe you were involved in the making of Beyond the Steel Sky, but I believe uh, Revolution and Charles brought that back uh, for Beyond. Um, and actually, I think you answered a question, but you mentioned that you didn't use it for Broken Sword. Was that a specific decision that you said we're not going to use virtual reality or to just happen naturally? It was like uh, maybe too much butter or what? Uh, yeah, well, there's a little passage in the book where I... Where I okay. No spoilers then. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm working on the engine, and the, the Charles and Dave come in, are sat in a corner, and they're talking about the design, and and I kind of, I'm kind of, I put my hands to the key to the keyboard, and I'm, I'm going to type, and then I'm I'm kind of, I've got to go and ask them. So I walk across the, the room, and I, and I ask Dave and Charles, what about the virtual theater stuff, and they kind of look like this. <laughs> they can't look me in the eye. <laughs> and I know, I know what the answer is. <laughs> uh, well, I'll read more more about it again. I think it. Uh, so, in none of the Broken Sword games, there was virtual theater. Is that correct? That's or, pretty, yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't I think mean, it's very noticeable, yeah. but <laughs> no. Well, because it's not that difficult to pretend that it's there, even if it's not. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I mean, characters do go off and do things, and then turn up a bit later on, and it's mm. just part of the design. You know. Uh, whether we're doing it truly properly and a sprite is actually walking somewhere or or if it's just like on a timer of how long it would take them to walk there there's always a way of doing it so um you know mm. we, ne- we never quite we never quite gave up on the idea of of world feeling real you know which, which was ultimately the idea of it yeah because i think one of my you know main criticisms of adventure games in general now we know this is because of technology limitations and budget but a lot of times the npcs they just stand in one place and usually they're not doing anything they don't move they don't go anywhere mm. so it kind of takes me out so virtual theater really what that's what i liked about it is oh characters yeah, are walking yeah. around now trying to find them then became kind of an issue but i thought oh look it's it's still fun um but uh, have you played Beyond the Steel Sky? And if so, have you? Um, what do you think of how they use virtual theater uh, in that? Uh, I play. I played it a bit. I played it for a couple of hours. And I haven't finished it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it. It's kind of. It's kind of um, very, very contemporary in that sense. Mm. You, know, the, you know, that the outside area. There's lots of people walking about and seemingly doing their own things. So yeah, it's 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 kind of got that feel again, which is good. Mm. I mean, it, it's it's a completely different technology set from what we had back in back in the days. You know, when we were programming in um, like assembly code and stuff. I mean, it's it's a different world now. Mm. Um, modern engines. You you can build that kind of thing if you want to do it. Um, and, and they did, you know, so yeah, but it's a different thing, it's a different world, right? Modern, yeah, modern game dev. I mean, I think it was Unreal Engine, so you know, the idea of characters walking around is is not 
is not something you would brag about, you know, because it's just <laughs> it's, it's just easy, you know. Yeah, and I believe a game called Forgotten City uh, had something si- similar to characters were walking around. And again, I remember I was trying to find the characters and I went and I was like, wait, this person was right here. And now it could be anywhere else. But it's it's kind of interesting. You know, I think it's like, you know, like that if it's done well. Um, well, uh, Altmag Online has a question. Hello, Altmag Online. Uh, they <laughs> ask um, uh, if you can answer this. What is your favorite chapter of the book and why? Favorite chapter? Uh, that's a difficult one, really. Yeah, good, good question. Old Mag Online. I don't know. I don't really have a favorite. I mean, uh, they're, they're all very good. Um, what can I say? <laughs> all of them. Um, what's my favorite? Um, I don't know. I quite like the end of it when I when I kind of um, I, I, I kind of do some philosophizing about life in general at the end. That's, that's kind of, I mean, people will either love that or hate it. But it's just <laughs> what I want. That's just what I want is to do. Um, that's the thing. I, I do what I want to do. Exactly. Your book, no publishers. You are the publisher. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, if anybody else watching uh, live has any questions, sorry, Tony, you're. No, no. I mean, yeah, it's a good question. What's my favorite chapter? Uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I haven't actually. I mean, I've not actually sat down and read it in, in a traditional sense, as in, as in, you just start on page one and keep reading it. You know, I, I've always um, been skipping around all over the place, um, reading it backwards and, and, and all the rest of it. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know to be honest. Well, one day I'll come back and answer that question. <laughs> okay. Well, there you have it. Ultimate online. And then, if anybody else has any questions for Tony, please put them in the chat if you're watching live, and I'll be happy to to ask him. Uh, well, one question that I have for you because um, when you decided to write this book, um, how did the other people at Revolution or other people feel? Do you know? Um, were they were they happy that you're going to put this out there? And you know, we spoke about how this is uh, you know history that's going to put it in writing or did it have any concerns or anything at all? So. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, when, when, when you say, you know, if you go up to people and say, I'm going to write a book <laughs> and people are like, yeah, yeah. Good, good luck with that. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe you're going to write a book. Maybe you just say you're going to write a book. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was talking to Charles and Lauren about it uh, quite some time ago, and they were like, yeah, good idea, good idea, go for it, you know. We'll probably never hear of that again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of Tony's crazy schemes. It'll never it'll never come to anything. And then, like, uh, you know, like a year later, I'm kind of, hey, I'm, I'm, I need to interview you guys because I've got some really specific questions about what happened in in 1994 you know on this particular day and and it's like oh this is this is sounding a bit more serious you know so we had you know i had a couple of dinners a couple of evenings with with those two and when i was asking some really quite specific questions uh, and they were kind of uh this seems a bit more real and and like blimey there's a lot of research has gone on to to rebuild this timeline of events from nearly 30 years ago you know uh, so then maybe they were starting to think this is this is this is a lot more real and uh, then people get kind of curious as to what you're saying about them you know and because uh, <laughs> you know uh, over a period of 30 years you know there, there are times when even even very close when we, we we all were very close at the top of revolution and and still are in a way uh so but you know there, there are times when 
you're arguing about something with someone, you know, and and the times when everyone's in agreement and other times when different people are arguing and and I'm trying to mediate between them. And, you know, there's there's a lot of toing and froing on these things over the course of so many years. So, you know, some people might say, oh, you you really can talk about that argument we had on in 1996, you know, and probably not, you know, because I might have forgotten that one. It was never such a big deal to me. Uh, You know, when, when you're, when you, when, you know, everyone is the, the main character in their own story, aren't they? So uh, things that seem important to someone might might have been nothing to someone else, you know. Mm. But no, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not that kind of book. It's not, it's not about, it's not about me really. It's about revolution and, and the, the, the processes we had to go through. So the real bad guys are the the corporates that were trying to knife us. Yeah, so if there were bad guys in the movie, they would be the <laughs> the dark, the dark characters in, in black suits. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're the corporate people. <laughs> and so, who who did you speak with? You spoke with Charles and Noreen. Did you speak with anyone else then at Revolution, or who worked with Revolution on the games? Lot, yeah, lots of people. I mean, I mean, not everyone's around. I mean, uh, some people like Dave Cummins. I mean, he, he was central to the the first few games, and uh, you know, Steel Sky and Brent Sword owe a lot to Dave. And uh, of course, he's not not with us anymore. Mm. As, as aren't an, a number of people, as it turns out. But um, other people, uh, you know, there's a very important guy called Steve Odes who drew the sprites for but Allure and Steel Sky and Broken Sword 1 and 2. I mean, you know, George's animation is all down to Steve Odes. Now, he's he's supposedly here in Hull, but, um, uh, you know, maybe just miles away from where I am now, but I, I couldn't find him. So I've oh. not been able to talk to him. Who, who know, he, he's disappeared. Uh, uh, you know, Facebook is actually, much as we much as we complain about it, it's actually quite useful for keeping people in, in a contacts list. So there's there's quite a lot of people I have been able to speak to. Um so yeah, quite quite a few. I mean probably probably several dozen people have have uh, have reached out to and asked them uh, for for info, you know. And that's quite interesting as well because everybody remembers different things and some people don't remember anything. So you have to or claim they don't remember anything. But I've kind of learned techniques for, for for pulling information out of people's brains that they don't think is there, you know. I mean, basically you have to be very specific. You, you can't say, Oh, do you remember what you know, do you remember what happened on when we were doing Little Temptress, you know? And it's like well, it was the nineties, wasn't it? And it was quite hard, but apart from that, I don't remember anything. But then you but then you can say, well, do you remember when we had this particular problem and the, these people were involved? And and you get if you can get very specific about it, you can you can jog a memory and and, and pull information out and, and actually surprise people of what they, they can't remember if you use the right technique, you know. So I've got quite an expert at that kind of forensic oh. um forensic research that I've had to do. Yeah, like a journalist researcher. <laughs> That uh, become. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was buried. A lot mm. of stuff was just buried, and uh, that and that's another reason it was important to to do it now. Because uh, you know, if you if I left it another ten years, or anybody else left it another ten years, or whatever, or even twenty years, it would be even harder to do. You know, so having having brought all this information out again and written it down, it's 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 there now. You know. Yeah, and uh, and you mentioned people might remember things differently. Did it ever happen that? Uh, people might have remembered things differently to how you remember them. So a specific moment, maybe making the games or anything. And how how did you go about that then? And include to save someone 
remember something very differently to what you thought had happened. Uh, did that happen? And how did you include that in the book? Uh, a little bit. I mean, sometimes the order of things was 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 wrong. I mean, I, I remember certain certain thing being like a, a, a year before something else, and it wasn't mm. the other way around. You know that that kind of, you know, you can sometimes get multiple years mixed up in your in your mind as to when when things happened. You know, so um, yeah. I mean, some some people have, have. I mean, Steve Ince as well. He's got a very good memory. Um, once once you once you can. Um, Get him in the right drug, drug his memory in the right way. Then he knows a lot of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, he, I mean, he he was very useful for for correcting things here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone remembers something different. So mm. the more you talk, the more people you talk to, and uh, the, the more you learn, you know, and then it all goes into the document. No, that's, that's great. Well, Alt Mag Online has another question that they ask: What is your favorite Easter egg in a Revolution game? Uh, if you have any, uh, well, I'm always fond of the spider and on the first screen of Brainstorm Two because um, there's a good story how that came about, um, which is of course is in the book. Uh, yeah, I okay. Like spider. The spider's good. I mean, not <laughs> everyone knows about it. Is that well. a, is that an Easter egg? I wasn't aware that was an Easter egg. Uh, I would say it is. I mean, do, do you know the one I mean? In the, the... spider jumps out, kills you. Oh, okay. Uh, in Broken Sword too. Yeah, yeah. The spider will actually kill you if you do the right thing. Oh right no, I, I wasn't aware of that because I kept trying uh-huh. to get killed by the spider, but it just kept. Uh-huh. I remember. Oh, that's it. I'll have to replay that game. Find the Easter egg. It's a good one. I did. I did that. Okay. <laughs> well, wow. Well, I, I'll definitely have to replay because no, pr- probably one of my favorites. Now, I found this before playing Vanita Steel Sky, but. In, Broken Sword 2 when you play as Nico going to Subway and then you see Robert Foster. Um, oh, yeah, and, yeah. That's <laughs> and at first I didn't, re- I thought it was funny. I didn't really understand the context. Then it, then I played Beneath the Steel Sky after Broken Sword 2 and then I understood. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, but, but, but yeah. Were there any uh, Easter eggs in later games or were there any ones that you liked in Broken Sword 5 maybe or? Uh, there were there were a few in Broken Sword Five, I think. Um, I didn't do all of them, but there were there was the yeah there was the radio show. Um, there's like a whole radio show hidden away in in part two. That's quite good. I'll there's have to the, replay the, that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you not found that one? That's a good one. Um, it is like an interview, a recorded interview with um, with people. It's really good. Oh, um, that's that's interesting. I really have to replay it. There's a YouTuber who, who we did an interview with called Rachel Bob, and, and she actually does she actually does the interview, and it comes out of the car. Right? You know, there's like a, a car that's um, yes, yes, stuff. yeah, yeah. You can get you can get the radio going and book uh, pops this uh, this radio show. And there was the dead the dead was it the dead rat thing. There was there was a mysterious dead rat um, Easter egg as well, okay. which I think is linked. I think that's linked to the radio. So yeah, there's quite there's quite a bit in Broken Sword Five, I think. Okay, I'd have to re- replay them and go through them with a fine tooth comb, <laughs> just to try and get as many uh, as I can. But uh, definitely to try the spider one. I didn't uh, notice. I didn't find that one, and it's the first time hearing of it. The spider's good, actually. But but actually speaking now about because one of the things the revolution is known for, and and I believe it's one of the things that helped revolution go during the you know, 2008, 2009, around then, is um, uh, well, the director's cut and updating the games, even up until a few weeks ago, Revolution, I believe, updated Broken Sword 2 for iOS 
So, you know, you're constantly, you know, updating games. Uh, well, first of all, how important do you think that is in, in general um, to update these, um, you know, games that are getting older, like Broken Sword 1, 2, and Beneath the Steel Sky had an update? Um, how, how important do you think was that to keep the, those games going and for modern audiences? I I think it's very important to to do that. I mean, they either die and and mm. get forgotten, or or I mean, if they're, if they're worth it and people are still going to enjoy playing them, then it's I think it's important to keep them alive. And uh, you know, it, it does take quite a lot of work to to, especially on mobile. And you know, mm. you can have, you can have a perfectly working iOS game one day, and and a year later it doesn't work on anything because the operating system has changed and the APIs have changed and uh, this that and the other. I mean, both both iOS and Android are a nightmare in that respect. So it's it's a lifelong commitment to keeping those games running. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty important. That, I mean, it's 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 vital to keep them going. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm I'm very pleased that the revolution always have. And uh, you know, ScumVM was a big part of that for us because we gave them we gave them the source code um, that and they they put they put those games onto ScumVM and that kept them alive as well for quite a long time. I mean, in the case of Steel Sky, I don't think there would have been a sequel to Steel Sky if we hadn't mm. allowed them to do a ScumVM version. It, you know, it just kept it going, and people were aware of it and still playing it. And uh, I mean, that's the most important thing, to be honest. Yeah, no, absolutely, because they are, you know, classics and they are gems. So it's great that people can still play them today. Because you think that other games, you know, back then, like the Discworld games that are you know, impossible to find. Um, at least for PC as well, they're very difficult. But I know it's great yeah, that these yeah. games that you can we can continue to, to play them. And it, uh, it's, yeah. it's a lot of work um, because I mean they were always written. I mean the the, the big problem with them is uh, without being too technical is that they they tend to be they were, they tend to be always written in the old days for a very fixed screen size. So I mean Broken Soul was written for a screen of like six forty mm. by four eighty pixels, and and that was. That was like the whole screen, you know, but uh, and, and everything about the way it was written was was fixed towards that particular size, you know. So when you when you end up on a, a phone with the HD screen and all the, all the rest of it, it, it you know, it, it's still internally Brent Sword still thinks it's working on a 640-480 screen. So you have to trick it. You have to write the code around it to, to trick it to thinking it's still working the, the way it always did, you know. Mm. Now, if we'd known, if we'd known in the '90s that, that these games were going to live on as long as they would do, then we would have written them in a completely different way. And uh, you know, keeping them alive, we have to continually fight with that that legacy of of something we didn't expect back back in those days. Because we came from the eight bit days, and the eight bit days, you wrote a game, it came out, sold a bit, maybe it went to budget after six months, and then you know that was it. It was it was finished, and you were on to the next game. And we yeah. and we, we always wrote our games that way in a revolution. And uh, we, I mean, who who predicted the iPhone and mobile? You know, who, who would ever have thought the touchscreen computers would come along and you'd be playing the old games on it again? You know, we're even even you know from a point of view, is it technically something you could do? But even the the concept of a touchscreen, I mean, and a mobile phone in in 1993 when we were writing Broken Sword. No one had the, the the first idea that such a world would exist. You know, two decades later. Mm. So, um, you know, th those those engines were not prepared for that. <laughs> well, it's great that they can still work on on the on the iPhone and Android now as well. 
um, because it's kept those games alive. And even nowadays, yeah. when people ask for recommendations for adventure games, usually one of the first games is Broken Sword <laughs> and or Beneath the Steel Sky. So it's clearly still in you know people's minds, which is uh, which is great. And then. Uh, now, Broken Sword Director's Cut, I believe, was uh, made uh, back in 2000, was it 2007, 2008. I remember I played that on the Nintendo DS around that time. I thought, oh, I have to uh, play that. Um, how involved were you in the Director's Cut and what, what are your thoughts now on it looking back? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I was one of two two programmers on, on that project. Um, so very involved. Fairly <laughs> involved, yeah. So, I mean... That was one of the projects that brought Revolution back to life because we went through mm. a very tough time for a number of years, and uh, the director's cut was an important, an important project for us. Um, obviously, it's it's quite controversial with some people because it's it's perceived that we we cut things out of the original game for some for some evil reason, you know, <laughs> to, to annoy everybody. But there's actually a, a, a much more sophisticated story as to as to how that came about, and uh, you know, obviously, I cover that quite quite extensively in the book because it's there's there's a, a very specific reason for those things to be the way they are, and uh, you know, it, I mean, it it goes back to the GBA Broken mm. Sword game, which which became the director's cut, which was initially a uh, Nintendo DS game. So I mean, I mean, these are much smaller projects, much smaller platforms in terms of memory and stuff than than the original the original game would have would have been on the PC. Uh, and we also were never very good at archiving the games, so you know we couldn't really edit the old games. So they were kind of static in a way. And the director's cut was, uh, you know, it was a Ubisoft idea. They wanted to extend the the game, so it was like, how are we going to do that? You know. It was it was logical. In, there was the logical way, logical reason we went the way we did, um, and, and and we didn't anticipate some of the um, pushback from 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 those from those decisions. But um, it's the, there was a good reason for everything, you know. Mm. And I, I cover that in a lot of detail because you know every day I'm reading stuff about this that's not correct. So you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a record that needs to be set straight. Yeah, well, if people want to know why you made the changes, then I suppose re- read the book. Um, read about it in great detail, yeah. Oh, that's that's good. I'm looking for it because uh, I believe one of the changes was uh, there were no death scenes, I believe, in Broken Sword, uh, director's cut, and then the Nico bit that were added uh, at the beginning. Um, so you covered that, that, those things in your book then, I imagine? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I look forward to And I suppose, what, what, what are your thoughts uh, now uh, l- looking back, so your personal thoughts. So I know you say you had good good reasons uh, for that, but uh, would you have done things any differently if uh, looking back, if if it could be uh, your decision, or are you happy with um, how things worked out? Uh, I mean, I, I actually like the director's cut. I, I thought mm. that the bits were were actually quite good and quite well written, and um, uh, you know, they were, it was done in difficult circumstances mm. uh, from, from a from a a company finance point of view. I mean, there wasn't, there was a lot of, there's a lot of new work to do and not much money to do it, but uh, you know, it was all, it was all for a reason. And, and that reason was, was saving revolution and keeping it going, you know, to, so it could live another day. I think probably the big mistake, which, 
yeah, the big mistake is probably to to relaunch the director's cut on the PC. I mean, we probably should have kept it on Nintendo and said this is as far as it goes. You know, I think when it jumped back to the PC uh, and then it, and then it got it got a side by side comparison with the original game on the PC, mm. you know, then, then you can kind of say, well, hang on, this is this is a lesser this is a lesser thing. You know, whereas on a on a on a handheld console it's 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 not necessarily a lesser thing because there are there are different restrictions on those platforms but when it made it eventually back to the pc i think then it's in a kind of it's in a kind of difficult position in terms of what what is actually missing from it which isn't anything enormously important but part of the charm of broken sword which we recognize of course was you know the fact that you could say look at everything in your inventory mm. or try to combine everything and you'll always get a good response out of george i mean you know it was it was phenomenally expensive to do that in the first place because it all needed recording and, and writing and, and and all the rest of it um but you know that's part of the charm of a broken sword without a doubt so when, when you know when the director's cut turns up on the pc and some of those things are missing then you know you know it's it's it diminishes it a little bit. So maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe it should never have simply made it to the PC. Mm. But then, as you said, it helped uh, revive revolution. So uh, for, for that, I'll always be grateful, at least. <laughs> the director's just because itself did, yeah. Mm. But, you know, it, it, that that was commissioned as a, as a Nintendo product. So, um, you know, mm. it didn't it didn't need to make it to the PC. I mean, it was useful that it did, I suppose, because, it, it, it you know, sales are sales and... and and you know, selling games helps you make more games. But uh, you know, we never thought there'd be quite the uh, the backlash that um, mm. some people. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, look, it it worked out well overall. I thought here we had a backlash, but it's one uh, of those things. You know, mm. I mean, over the history of Revolution, we we've never really done anything too bad. <laughs> so no. Well, uh, look. If that's the worst of it, then you know, okay. <laughs> You're not doing too badly. I mean, look compared to Sierra, LucasArts, and no revolution are still still going, still at the top of the game. So they're still doing something right. Yeah. And you've yeah, done something going, right yeah. the last yeah. Um and uh did did you get I have played the PC version of the director's cut. Did you get the original voice actress for Nico back for the director's cut? Or... I think it's someone different. I think it's someone different. Okay. I think it's uh, I mean, I, there's a lot of confusion as to which which actress has done which game. To be honest, um, mm. and off the top of my mind, I can't tell you which which is which. I believe the director's cut, Nico, is. I think it's the same. I think it's Tazel. I think I think it is the same one. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do you know why? Game, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Every game has a basically every game has a different actress. I mean, that's that's the thing. Um, yeah. One reason or another, people not being available or, or not wanting to do it or whatever. I think Hazel Ellaby does do the director's cut, I mean, and someone someone else will actually know and, and post it. I'm sure. Uh, I'd need to look it up, but I think it's the same actress. Yeah, no, there that's... was a slight problem. That, uh, she sounded different, you know, when it was re mm. when the new bit was recorded many many years later. It, it's in a different studio, obviously, and with years and years between them. Um, the, the two voices sounded slightly different, and, and we had to do some treatment to bring them closer together. But um, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's just one of those things you don't anticipate and have to deal with. Yeah, well, look, I suppose uh, uh, these things happen. But uh, yeah, I was curious that there's a different voice actor for Nico, and then George Sobart is played by Rolf Saxon in every game, and he's made it his own. 
He's absolutely made made it his yeah. own. Yeah, I mean, George and Rolf are very much one and the same. <laughs> um, until so- actually, until you meet him, if you ever, if you ever meet him, I mean, he doesn't look. It's funny he doesn't because I because I didn't meet Rolf until Broken Sword Five because because he I mean he he's obviously a big part of Broken Sword, but mm. you know his part is usually a week in the studio in London per game. Now you know those programmers would not be part of that. So you know you know we I never met George. Uh, Rolf until he, he came to, <laughs> to York to see us, you know, and and there and, and then he's he's he's, he's quite funny because I mean he he doesn't look at all like George. No, <laughs> and he, he he kind of sounds like him, but not totally. So every every now and again, there's a little bit of George comes out, and you go, George, he looks. So, <laughs> it's kind of slightly strange, but um, but yeah, George and Rolf, they they are the same. They're one and the same now. <laughs> They're one and the same, really. Uh, so I'm not sure if we actually mentioned the name of your book uh, <laughs> during this whole interview. Hopefully, did at the beginning, but just in case for people who joined, uh, what, what is the, what is the name of the book that is on Kickstarter? <laughs> I think that's pretty that's important. Question, isn't it? Revolution: The Quest for Development Greatness. Right. Yeah. No, because I just wanted to get that in there. Uh, because I'm not sure if it's a revolution quest for game development greatness. We mentioned, of course, at the end again, but yeah, I think that's pretty important. Um, well, I wanted to call it quest for glory, but of course, there's a problem with calling it quest for glory, <laughs> <laughs> which actually the developers of quest for glory, I think, the, no, they called it hero's quest at first, and then I think it was the developers of that game, I think, had issues, so they had to change it to quest for glory. Um, right. So, I mean, it would it would have been funny if then they had said, "Oh, well, actually, we're our name is Quest for Glory," but, um, but but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would have kept. I mean, it, it sums up what we want. We, we always we always wanted to write great games. I mean, we just wanted to write great games. Yeah, which I think you guys let, have to leave us alone. Leave us alone. And let us write great games. Exactly. <laughs> well, lost all we wanted. Well, lost train tube again has a question. Uh, if you can answer, yeah, or they ask, uh, what do you consider? to be your most useful game dev tool or resource in your daily work, if you have any. So your most useful game dev tool or resource in your daily uh, work. Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> There's some hard questions from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, my, my my lovely little MacBook Pro, which which, which I, have, I have a fairly new one with an M1 processor. I mean, that's, that's probably the best computer I've owned for a long time. So I do, I do like my, my MacBook. Um, I'm using, I'm using, I'm, I'm doing some programming in Lua at the moment. So I'm using Sublime uh, Text Editor. I really like that. It's nice and simple. Um, I really, I really, I t- my, my least favorite development tool is Unity. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You don't like it? Yeah. I don't like it. No. Uh, I mean, I know a lot about it and I can use it perfectly well, but I don't like Unity at all. Don't get me started on Unity. Um, <laughs> what else do, do I like? Uh, do, does you, are Unity mentioned in the book? Not much. <laughs> not much. There's nothing. Uh, you nothing. They do say if you've nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So uh, I've got nothing particularly you know, good to say about Unity. I mean, I understand why 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 it's popular and why people use it and uh, what what useful things it does for you, but. Um, it's so far removed from the way those those guys used to write games back in the day, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, it it doesn't it, it it's meant to make things simpler, and it, it kind of does, and it kind of doesn't at the same time because it also makes some other things more complicated than they need to be. So, it's 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 trying to be too many things all all at once, and uh, 
you know, you can, you can, you can, some of us remember a simpler time when, the, when there wasn't uh, layers and layers and layers of things that you don't actually need that just get in your way, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's my, that's my least favorite thing. What's um, your favorite? Is it, is it MacBook Pro, you said? I do like my MacBook Pro. Um, and I like all my development friends who, who, who chat all day and we help each other out on, on problems here and there. It, I mean, it's all about people, really. So being in, being in the right team is always good. Mm. Being able to work with the right people. I mean, that's that's actually the real answer. The yeah, right so people. The, the people. Yeah, well, it, it seems like at Revolution, you did have the right people because at least from the people I spoke with, like uh, you spoke with like, like yourself and Steve Ince and Charles, that they're yeah, all... Yeah. They're all of you are really nice people as well and passionate about what you do. So that's really good to see. That, uh, I mean, that that is one of the conclusions of the book, to be honest. It's all about the people. That if you don't have that. And I think going going back as well, uh, you know, reading the book about Sierra as well, that, okay, I think there were some, you know, not issues, but I know there were just some difficulties as well, long working hours. But overall, I think if good people get on well together, um, yeah. Yeah, which, <laughs> um, and and actually, but uh, then about you know broken sword because I I know we spoke before we covered the Da Vinci Code, and I believe you mentioned in the book a little bit about Gabriel Knight, which kind of has some similarities, although that's more supernatural. Uh, but certainly, Gabriel Knight Three has uh, some similarities to Broken Sword. Um, now that was released afterwards. But have you played Gabriel Knight, or have you ever been in contact with? Uh, Jane Jensen or anyone as well um, about it or anything at all? I, I've not. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I actually read it quite recently. There was some speculation that Broken Sword and was, was somehow inspired by Gabriel Knight, but but at the time we were not, we were not looking at that stuff at all. I mean, never at the beginning of Broken Sword was there any any Gabriel Knight reference at all. Yeah, and didn't we, Broken we Sword were... come out before Gabriel Knight? The blood of the sacred blood of the damned is most similar, but <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Uh, but I, I, I don't know to be honest. I mean, we were we were focused on Monkey Island. That, that was it was other than Monkey Island, but really, uh, you know, what 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 were they going to do? Um, you know, what we what were we doing relative to what they were doing? You know, they they were. I mean, Monkey Island was a great game, and um, you know, we we didn't want to do the same thing, so you know, we went down a slightly more serious route. To, to the humor of, of of Monkey Island, so it, it, in our minds at Revolution in the nineties, it was it was it was early on it was Sierra and what what their stuff was doing, and later it was um, it was LucasArts with um, uh, Monkey Island, mm. and, and I I also remember Day of the Tentacle has been a work, a work of genius as well. I mean, I was always very impressed by that one. Yeah, definitely. Well, 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 my partner who uh, I told her I was speaking to you and uh, and then she, she was saying, oh, didn't uh, t Tony, didn't he make that game, a famous game? What was it? Was it Monkey Sword or <laughs> Broken Monkey? And I said, no, but it should be. I, I would pay for that. <laughs> so, so when did the co collaboration between you guys and Ron Gilbert? <laughs> It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> George Stobart meets Guybrush Streetwood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe they um, should. Maybe they should never meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, into sword fighting. Although George was, would have a you know quick answer, I think he could give. Uh, yeah, I think the witty, he, he could fight with the witty remarks, couldn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. That would be quite a boss fight, wouldn't it? That that would be incredible, I think. But um, that would be good. That would be good to see. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, make make it happen. We'll see if Ron Ron can uh, can agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, now, I don't want to keep you too long because I know going over. So if anybody watching live has any more questions, uh, uh, Lost Train Troop says thanks. No, no worries. If anybody else watching live has any questions to Tony, now's your chance. Uh, we have him here. And um, it's uh, I, I suppose another part that I, when I was reading through uh, the book that's, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but you mentioned some games that never happened. And one of the games that uh, that I believe you mentioned, now I didn't read it all, but you mentioned Broken Sword Tales, uh, which I thought was found interesting because I've, I'd never heard of that. Um, and I don't know if this is, a, I don't know, a spoiler in the book, but are you able to talk more about Broken Sword Tales and what happened with that? Well, the Tales, Tales was more of a concept. The idea was to do uh, smaller games. So the Tales mm. would be a series of, you know, more, more episode not exactly episodic but more like uh, you know imagine uh, imagine if imagine if broken sword is a feature film then you know like uh, uh, the simpsons is a series and there's there's 20 there's 20 simpsons in a, in a series you know so i mean we 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 had the idea that that perhaps with crowdfunding a better way of doing it would have been to 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 do smaller chapters and maybe there would be uh, you know not exactly episodic but um, mm. Smaller, smaller games, basically, more often with, with maybe some narrative arcs between them all. And, and I still think that would have been a, a better way to go. I mean, Broken Sword, Serpent's Curse was was initially a, one of the one of the tales ideas. Because what we did is we, we basically said, right, okay, we like this idea of, of smaller games. So let's, can, can we come up with 10 Broken Sword concepts, you know? So we, all, we wrote down you know we pretty much did 10 10 broken sword ideas uh and for the for the tales series of games and, the, and one of them was the serpent's curse idea and charles kind of went through the list and he kind of go, oh this one's a good one this one's a good one and took and took that one and kind of worked on it and worked on it and it grew and grew and grew into the huge game that broken sword five became you know <laughs> and, all, and all of the other all of the other ideas got pushed to one side, so it didn't quite work out really. But I mean, that's where Broken Sword Five comes from. But that's what the tales were. The tales were a series. Okay. And I still think that's what they should do. Every time I see Charles, I say you should be doing smaller games. You know, you should you don't do, don't do a massive, don't do a massive Broken Sword Six. Do a do a two a nice two D smaller game with twenty screens. Uh, do and do and do one every year. You know. And then, yeah. and then everyone gets to play a new broken sword game once a year. I think that'd be the, the way to to um, develop broken sword in the future. But uh, sadly, it's not up to me. But if you see Charles, <laughs> tell, tell him if everyone tells Charles the same thing, he'll 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 start to believe it. Maybe. Okay. Well, again, you heard it here. If you see Charles, uh, that t- tell him. I think he'll tell really him. appreciate it. Demand. Tell I think him. we should Bro- demand. <laughs> tales, Charles. Tales. Broken Sword Tales. And how, how has he responded? Uh, are you able to tell us uh, what, what a Charles's response to that when, when you told him? To the tales? Yeah. Uh, he just go, yeah, I'll just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been on about this for, for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, we'll go, maybe. We, 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 we shall see. Um, now, as I said, I don't want to keep you too too long because you've already spent a lot, uh, a lot of fine. time with us. Uh, but uh, I suppose then, because Re- Revolution is still going, um, are you doing anything now at the moment? Are you making any... Well, I know you're writing the book at the moment, and that's taking up a lot of your time. 
Um, but are you making any any gains? Of, did, were you making Obsidian again, or, or am I going crazy? I am. That's, you... that's that's kind that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm kind of doing Metroidvania Obsidian type type thing as much as anything in in between the book. You know, it's another. I mean, going right back, my first game was Obsidian, which was what they called then an arcade adventure, which which is now called pretty much direct directly the same thing really called metroidvania so i i, I want to do that and, and and revisit that and, and put some put lots of narrative and quirky stuff in it that i've learned on the way over the years so that's that's kind of my it's a goal that i have to do it you know in a way that i had to write the book i have to write my obsidian game and, and make it work somehow so I'm, I'm doing a bit of that um which i'll start talking about at some point on on youtube i want to do a youtube sort of developer diary type thing so that will pop up at some point after after the Kickstarter's all done. Um, and is that still an arcade game, that, or is it going to be more more narrative yeah. that you mentioned? Or well, it, it'll be it'll be running around the world and solving mysteries and shooting things as well, you know. So it'll be all sorts of things. It'll be a crazy crazy mix of different stuff. To be honest, you know, it'll be it'll be slightly mad and not and not 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 follow any particular rules but you know that's just what i do sounds, that sounds interesting but but again you you'll be working on it um, and any publishers or no no i'm, I'm i mean <laughs> surprisingly enough there's not there's not a, a long queue of publishers wanting to talk to me yet um but you know, but, you know, you know I, I mean i i would i would rather write a game and 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 deal directly with fans and and uh, people that like it can play it and people that don't like it won't play it and, and that that's probably the best way you know what why have layers of the people between between you writing mm. the game and and the people playing the game you know i mean that's what the tales would do the tales being smaller games would would put revolution closer to the to the fans you know and they wouldn't need a publisher in between them or, or lots of fans necessarily in between them so that, i mean that's that's my idea of how games should be written and uh, we'll see we'll see how i get on i suppose but but that's that's what i'm working on yeah yeah cool. funnily that's enough cool. my my wife tanya is actually working for revolution as well so oh are you <laughs> so able it, to uh, say anything at all or it's, it's all quite strange actually <laughs> it, it, it's extremely well i tell you what they're working on is extremely good but i can't tell you what it is oh okay oh very curious and we know that your wife uh is it, is it tanya yeah that uh, she's working at Revolution now, and how, how did? Well, okay, well, no, we don't need to go into that. But she, she's working there now on something. Okay, that's good to know. They're working on something. Uh, we know it'll look good yeah. because she's an artist, isn't she? She's some. She is, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. she, she's, I believe, she's working on another game, Foolish Mortals. Oh yeah, that's that's going to kickstart quite soon. Yeah, I mean, mm. I mean, she finished her work uh, on the backgrounds for that uh, quite some time ago, but it's 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 now ready to kickstart i think so i mean yeah, I think it looks fantastic day now, yeah, I think that's it's third of october well. yeah no it looks fantastic yeah. so well we yeah. if uh if the if whatever revolution are working on looks like that then i think a lot of people will be will be very happy but um and i have a feeling that i won't be able to get much out of you for <laughs> don't know if no, charles might come with a machete <laughs> he would come with the machete for me yeah they, 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 <laughs> we, we don't want that i'm I'm very but, curious to know, but I don't want to destroy your friendship. So yeah, yeah, uh, but it is very good. So so keep 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 your eyes peeled for that in in whenever whenever it is. Cool. Uh, and are do you have any involvement at all in whatever they're working on? Or that am I just pushing my luck? 
not not on that one particularly i mean i'm i'm kind of um, poking my nose in occasionally where it's where it's not wanted but um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's about that's about it really uh oh well well i'm very curious well i'm curious about obsidian and and a book so now it's with the kickstarter it's still there so if people are interested uh you can include links in the in the show notes and in the uh, description on the youtube uh, video as well um and and again the, the name of the book is uh revolution quest the quest for game development greatness That's um it. <laughs> i think it's important to mention and uh and so so when do you plan on uh releasing the book so you do you plan on obviously sending the book out? it's in paper well hardback uh so yeah do you plan on uh, shipping that all around the world to people who have yeah. backed wow yeah, yeah. And yeah. will this go on general sale? Uh, do you know in in bookshops or on a website or? To... Uh, I, I I don't think that. I mean, this initial hardback version. I'm not sure it's commercially viable as a as a publisher book, which is which is why I've done it this way. You know, I mm. mean, it, it, it's 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 quite unique and uh, expensive to print and all the rest of it. So I I don't think this version of it with all the photos and and, and everything I wanted to be in it will will ever make it to to bookshops as such. Um, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be a paperback a cut down paperback at some point. Who, who knows? I mean, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, that I mean this this is probably it. You know, if, okay. if it's wildly if it's wildly successful and and. I mean, I think it is a good book. I mean, I, I don't just say that. I think it is a good book. Mm. So you know, the more people that, that can read it, uh, the better in, in, in the end. So if there are opportunities for it as a paperback, then maybe that will happen. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? Oh, well, we, we shall see. Hopefully. I think so far people are interested. But if you really want to get the book the way it was originally written, best place is Kickstarter. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, get get back it back it yeah Definitely back it back it's it. still still there still running yeah. this <laughs> is the chance to get to get the real book you know and, and would you consider um putting the book on ebook or is that out of the question or uh i know it'd be but, the same i mean maybe but da mm. down the line you know down the line mm. not, well, not, not anytime soon i don't think yeah yeah well, look, people, it's uh, the time of recording. The Kickstarter is still going. So if you really want to get a chance to read this book, uh, from what you've said to me, from what I've read, it is genuinely good. I, I can't wait to have it in my hands and just, you know, be able to just see the pictures and read about the history. And uh, hopefully we can have, uh, I don't know, uh, coming to Netflix or Amazon. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, but uh, but we shall see. Um uh, is there anything that you would like to to mention in particular that we haven't covered? I think we've covered a lot, but is there anything else that um I I uh, don't think so. I'm 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 best answering questions, really. Um, <laughs> well, well ask me a question and I'll answer it. Um uh but um, nothing 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 particularly from me. Uh, well I might have you on again when the book is out because I'm sure I'll have more questions when I read the full book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but no. Well, I think I better let let you go now. Back to Kickstarter um, or whatever it is you do during the Kickstarter, because I've uh, but I've really enjoyed again the conversation. Third time you've been on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, you'll be on the fourth time again. It's always great chatting with you, and uh, you. and I'd I'd love to go to to Hull sometime and uh, you know maybe meet up with you guys and Steve and <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, Steve's just down the road, so um, yeah, it'd be great oh, to see. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully soon. And uh, well, thank you for people who joined us, Lost Train Dude and uh, Alt Mac Mag Online, for your questions and anyone else who joined us. And um, and yeah, we'll look the very, very best of luck with the Kickstarter again, even though you're successful. Hopefully, you've made uh, quite a bit more money. And um, and I'm sure people will enjoy it when they receive the book. Uh, so uh, very best of luck. And thank you again, Tony. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. So that was my interview with the Revolution co-founder, Tony Warriner. And uh, again, fantastic! I had a fantastic time talking to him. I would speak to him every week if I could, uh, but uh, you know, he's he's a busy man, and uh, I t- don't think that would be appropriate. But a huge, huge thank you to Tony for joining me again, and um, and yeah, uh, his uh, book once again is Revolution: The Quest for Game Development Greatness. At the time of recording, and between now and the beginning of October 2022, it is still out on Kickstarter. Uh, if you are listening to this afterwards, uh, you can still check out the link below the Kickstarter and find out more information about the book. And hopefully it will be available in some format um, as well after the Kickstarter finishes. Uh, but we shall see. Um, so yes, yeah, so his Kickstarter has already met made the goal it's already succeeded, but of course, um, any more money will help uh, Tony uh, with production costs and printing costs and all the rest of that. And uh, yeah, so that is it for this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. Um, uh, I will be back uh, probably next week uh, or next episode with Thomas and Laura. We've got a ton of adventure games uh, to review. I will be reviewing um, The Unknown Number, the first-person talker, where you have to talk to characters, literally. So I'll be giving my thoughts on that. And I'll also be reviewing uh, Siberia, The World Before, the fourth entry in the Siberia series. So uh, I will be saying what, what I thought about that. And we'll be discussing a little game called Return to Monkey Island. Um, non-spoilers, but just to let people know, um, we'll be discussing that. So, until next time, uh, take care everyone, goodbye. So, if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you